This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Now, from the most powerful city in the world, a new generation of conservative talk. Fair, fresh, fun. It's the Guy Benson Show with Guy Benson. It is Monday, November 28th, 2022, a brand new broadcast week here on The Guy Benson Show. We are back, sort of out of our food coma for Thanksgiving. Thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for listening. Every weekday between 3 and 6 p.m. Eastern Time, GuyBensonShow.com is our website. We encourage you to listen live as we air if possible. If not, if you can't catch the whole show, we have a podcast. It is on demand. It is free every day. GuyBensonShow.com, FoxNewsPodcast.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm the political editor at townhall.com and a Fox News contributor. And in that capacity tonight, I'll be on the panel with Brett Baer and the whole special report team. That's around 645 or so Eastern time this evening on Fox News Channel. So I hope to see you there. We are busy here on the radio side as well. Listen to the lineup that we have in store. Gordon Chang, one of our experts on China, will be here. Some really remarkable developments in that country with a major backlash against the regime when it comes to these draconian COVID policies that they have now re-implemented to horrible and tragic effect. And even the people of China have seen enough, and they're fighting back with unprecedented demonstrations and protests. We will talk to Gordon Chang about that. Howie Kurtz will be here on the media, their obsession and meltdown over Elon Musk and a few other relevant topics. Congressman Tony Gonzalez, Republican of Texas, he will be here fresh off of his reelection talking about the border crisis, the event that House Republicans just had down at the border. What was it just last week? I know the White House dismissed it as a political stunt. That's what they say about everything that they don't like that might draw any attention to their own failures. I would say that Kevin McCarthy and Republicans going to the border can't really be considered a stunt given what's happening down there and also given the fact that the man in charge of federal policy, Joe Biden, the president, has not been there at all, not as president, not even as vice president. He just doesn't really bother with going down there. He doesn't want to see what's happening. We will ask Congressman Gonzalez about that. And in our final hour, Dr. Manny Alvarez will join us to talk about the holidays, some of the challenges on the health front that the country is facing and some of the comments that I'm going to be talking about here to start the show. And those comments come from Dr. Anthony Fauci. Now, I could have sworn that we were told that he was retiring or stepping away from his roles. It seemed like a while ago, and yet here he still is. He was at the podium at the White House a couple days ago for the press briefing. He was on TV again this weekend. I went and I looked it up. He made the announcement that he was going to be stepping away in August. And he said that the target for that 
quasi-retirement, the next chapter, next phase of his life, was going to be December, so this coming month. And man, it has taken, it feels like two years to get from August to December when it comes to Fauci actually moving on. With all apologies to Cher, this feels like the farewell tour from Cher, never-ending. I just hope there's not another one, as we sometimes see. Sorry, Cher. That's the analogy that comes to mind. So he's still at it. And just yesterday, he was on Face the Nation on CBS. Now, if you're a longtime listener to this show, you probably recall back during the pandemic, I was not a reflexive Fauci detractor or critic. I thought that some people on the right were maybe getting out over their skis with the way that they talked about him, especially early on. Maybe in retrospect, they had a better instinct about him than I did. I was sort of neutral on him. But over the course of years and his constant pronouncements and his insistence that he is not political, even though he acts like a political animal all the time, but kind of pretends like that's for grubby little people, not him. He's just the science. In fact, he embodies science itself. Remember when he said that? When people disagree with me or criticize me, they're, they're really just criticizing science. The hubris to say something like that. But he did. So here he is in hopefully his waning days of relevance, still out there, still loving the lights and the cameras, And he had a few things to say yesterday that I felt like we needed to address here on the program. For example, there was a question about the origins of COVID. We know it started in China. There is a very strong suspicion with a good deal of of evidence that it started at that lab in Wuhan and escaped from the lab. That was deemed misinformation, disinformation, conspiratorial thinking, verboten for a long time until all of a sudden it wasn't quite so verboten anymore. But that was suppressed. That theory, that viable, if not likely now, theory was suppressed. Partially because Dr. Fauci himself intervened to downplay it, dismiss it, sort of telegraph that the real smart people didn't believe it. In fact, someone who was a buddy of his invested in that gain-of-function research in China wrote him a private email thanking him for knocking down what is a viable and was then a viable theory. And as usual, slippery Anthony Fauci is trying to pretend, oh, no, he's never really shot down the theory. He was just making sure that we weren't jumping to – that's not – that is revisionism, which is one of his specialties. And he's clever enough to always leave a little out for himself in these long word salads that he spews. So he's got a little escape hatch to say, no, no, see, I also said this. I qualified that. Even if he's trying to convince us, gaslighting us, that the thrust of his point wasn't really what he was saying all along. So now he's saying he has got an open mind on where COVID came from, but he's sticking with The overall thought that it didn't come from the lab, right? We just had a laboratory doing exactly this kind of research, which is very rare around the world, 
in this part of China, which just happens to be the exact epicenter of the worldwide pandemic of exactly this type of thing. And I guess Fauci just thinks, even though he's supposedly open minded, that that's a coincidence. Cut nine. I have a completely open mind about that, despite people saying that I don't. I have a totally open mind about that. But if you look at the preponderance of evidence that has been accumulated, the evidence strongly points to this being a natural occurrence of a jumping of a virus from a bat to an animal species to human. Except we never found the vector. We never found the animal that it supposedly jumped to. And the Chinese government, the regime went through and made sure that we were never going to get the real story or the truth out of that laboratory in Wuhan, where they just completely wiped the place clean of any real evidence and have obstructed at every step of this process any chance of getting to the truth. By the way, that was Meet the Press on NBC. Fauci was making the rounds, as he loves to do. He also appeared on CBS, and I'll get to those clips in just a second. But totally open mind, but he still thinks the preponderance of evidence points to the natural origin theory. Even though we had a Senate report out, what, a couple weeks ago, pointing in exactly the opposite direction. And again, it's sort of like an Occam's razor thing, as I just described. What are the chances that a lab doing that kind of research with a history of sloppiness when it comes to their protocols might have created this type of disease, not as a weapon, but in their research, and then it accidentally escaped in that very city and then spread far and wide from that point forward. It would seem more than reasonable to reach that conclusion. But Fauci seems to believe that the so-called preponderance of evidence points in the other direction. Now, when it comes to accountability in China and the CCP, the Chinese Communist Party, the misinformation that they were spreading internally, the people, the whistleblowers, for example, doctors and nurses and other experts, and even just people within the country criticizing the government, questioning the official early accounts. Oh, this is not human to human. They were lying. They knew that wasn't the case early on. They were manipulating the World Health Organization that they basically own at this point. They installed their handpicked guy as the leader, Tedros, of WHO. They were putting out wrong information to the world in those crucial early days, while doctors and other whistleblowers magically disappeared for a while. Fauci was addressing that, and guess who he blames for the CCP's malfeasance? Well, I'll let you listen to yourself. Cut 13. What happens is that if you look at the anti-China approach that clearly the Trump administration had right from the very beginning, and the accusatory nature, the Chinese are going to flinch back and say, no, I'm sorry, we're not going to talk mm-hmm. to you about it, which is not correct. But they're not talking be. to the Biden administration about it either. Exactly. I think that horse is out of the barn and they're very suspicious of anybody trying to accuse them. We need to have an open dialogue with their scientists and our scientists. Keep the politics out of it and let the scientists, because these are scientists that we've known for decades. This is, to put it very kindly, totally embarrassingly naive. From Fauci. 
there isn't a reality in which we have American and Western scientists and the Chinese scientists and they all trust each other and they just get along and there's no politics. He's making it seem like the politics is coming from America, was coming from Trump, was coming from the West. And the poor old Chinese government just recoiled because of the accusatory nature of what Trump was saying. Oh, they flinched back because of Trump. This is the blame game that Fauci's trying to play and sort of reverse engineer this thing. The horse that was out of the barn, to borrow his phrasing, was COVID itself. And the barn very well could have been the Wuhan Institute of Technology. The Chinese knew that they had a problem. They knew where it came from. They knew it was in their borders. They lied about it and covered it up incessantly for days and weeks and even months before it became a huge story worldwide, before Donald Trump said a single negative thing about the Chinese. And by the way, you talk about accusatory stuff. They deserve to be accused. The accusations are correct or at least highly likely to be correct. And the way that they have gone out of their way, bending over backward to ensure that the truth would never be ascertained, to me, is further evidence of guilt. But Fauci tries to pretend that the finger pointing from Trump in the West that came months into the process, long after the first manipulations and cover-ups that started in China, that's what caused the Chinese to cover things up. So it's really our fault and Trump's fault for asking questions and making accusations that caused the Chinese to get very defensive. That's what Fauci's saying here. I don't want to sit and assert that he is deliberately spouting CCP propaganda, but that effectively is what this is. The Chinese scientists are always going to be controlled, monitored by, intimidated by, the authoritarian government in China. The notion that they could have a fully open, fair-minded, truth-seeking dialogue with American scientists and the politicians just stay out of it, that is a pipe dream, especially because that's not how the Chinese Communist Party operates. They wouldn't allow it. Just the apologies here for the CCP From Fauci, that is what he's doing. It's appalling to me. And in case you weren't fully convinced that this guy needed to get off the stage like yesterday, he was also asked, this is on Face the Nation, CBS, about school closures. Not past school closures, which he still kind of defends or pretends like he had nothing to do with that. Not true. No, future potential school closures. Cut 12. Coming out of the holidays, should parents expect schools to shut down? I don't know, uh, uh, Margaret. I'm not sure. When when you talk about shutting down schools, there's always the collateral That's also radioactive. (laughs) Exactly. There's always the collateral issue. So you have to balance, and you do it in real time, depending upon the viral load of disease in your region, whether... You know, the upper northeast may be uh, quite different from the southwest, from the, from, the, from the Pacific coast, from the upper northwest. So you have to have the local authorities evaluate on a situation-by-situation basis the, the potential collateral deleterious effects with the effects of what might happen if you have so many kids getting I just, I, I can't, I can't keep going with this 
This is not an interview or an exchange from two years ago. This is from yesterday. The same talking points, local authorities and the viral loads in the region. The question was, should parents expect schools to shut down after the holidays, these holidays, early next year, 2023? Should there be school closures next year? And the answer is, quote, I don't know, Margaret. I'm not sure. At this point, I think we all know and should be sure what that answer is, which is no. We are not closing schools down again on these kids. It was a disaster. That's what the science shows. That's what the data shows. But here he is keeping the door wide open to that because that's what he does. He'd say, oh, I don't support it, but local authorities might want to look at the community spread and blah, blah, blah. It's crazy. It is absolute just madness. And this is Fauci still out there. Retirement, sir. Maybe move up your schedule a few weeks. Enough of this guy. Exit stage left, please. The Guy Benson Show just getting started. We'll be right back. Fresh conservative talk. Guy Benson Show. Wyndham Hotels and Resorts makes travel possible for all. Whether it's the long haulers looking for a great cup of coffee, a roomier rest for the on-a-wim road trippers, or a place to make summer memories with the whole family. No matter who you are, where you're going, or why, with 24 trusted brands to choose from like La Quinta, Days Inn, and Super 8, your Wyndham is waiting. Get the lowest price at WyndhamHotels.com. Restrictions apply. Visit website for more details. I'm Guy Benson. We are back. Since we were talking about China and the CCP, what is happening in the streets of Chinese cities right now is incredible. Absolute courage on display, as we're seeing also in Iran. These protests against the government, even in the face of arrests, murders, executions, people in Iran are standing up to that regime, and we're seeing it in an unprecedented way now, in China as well, because the regime and Xi Jinping have this totally crazy notion that they can somehow create a zero COVID environment in that country if they just lock down hard enough. So they're back in these really restrictive, inhumane lockdowns, locking people literally into their homes, into their apartments. And one of the reasons that you're seeing some of these widespread protests now is because in one of these apartment complexes, a fire broke out and people were trapped in their apartments, locked in from the outside because of the regime locking them in due to COVID, and they died. Dozens burned to death, including children. It's horrific. People are taking to the streets in ways that have not been seen in a very long time. A lot of observers saying the the extent of these protests really is unprecedented in scope. And the government has responded by slightly loosening some of the restrictions so far. We're watching it with Gordon Chang, who is here next with his reaction and analysis on The Guy Benson Show. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it... A real POS. You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. 
Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Talking about the issues you care about. Guy Benson. Welcome back. Thank you for listening. It's the Guy Benson Show. GuyBensonShow.com is our website. The podcast is free every day. And to continue our discussion about what's happening in China, let's bring in Gordon Chang, author of The Coming Collapse of China. You can follow him on Twitter at Gordon G. Chang. And Gordon, good to have you back. Thank you so much, Guy. The words that I have seen in the media, on social media, from people who are experts on China to describe the protests that have been happening in the last few days include extraordinary, historic, unprecedented What is the context that we need to know about for what's happening? Why is this happening on such a widespread scale, and why is it significant? Across Chinese society, um, people um, have realized that the Communist Party must go. They do not want Xi Jinping. And as a great Chinese historian, Yu Yangshi, said in about 1949, when the communists took power, he said that the communists took power because the nationalists of Chiang Kai-shek, who had far superior resources to the ragtag commies, um, he said, look, the nationalists had lost people's hearts. Well, today, the Communist Party has lost people's hearts. And so the party can intimidate people, coerce them, imprison them. Um, but it, right now, it has no loyalty among the Chinese people, um, except for some pretty small pockets. And that means that when you have an incident like occurred on Thursday or the fire in Urumqi, um, anything can happen. You can have these demonstrations explode across Chinese society, which is what happened on Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. Chanting like, we want freedom, that was one chant, unlock China down with Xi Jinping, down with the Communist Party. I mean, it takes some real guts to say anything like that in public. I've seen some very disturbing videos of protesters getting beaten and uh, assaulted by the police, by the officials there, taken into custody and detained. The BBC has put out a statement about one of their journalists in Shanghai who was roughed up badly by Chinese authorities and arrested, and the CCP in classic Kami doublespeak is saying, oh, he was arrested for his own safety, uh, which is just nuts. But it's not one or two little isolated incidents, Gordon. This is happening all across China, which I think is pretty amazing. Would you describe this as unprecedented? Yes. Um, well, you could look at 1989, where you had protests in Beijing and 370 other cities, um, and those also were not organized. They were spontaneous. They were leaderless. That's what has happened over the weekend. Nobody, you know, sat on a phone and said, let's all demonstrate in these 16 cities. Um, it actually happened uh, that people independently decided to protest at great risk to themselves. Because you've got to remember that the Communist Party runs the world's most sophisticated and efficient surveillance state. They have, you know, somewhere between 540 to 620 million surveillance cameras. They've got uh, artificial um, intelligence, facial recognition software. People who have said things like you mentioned, like down with the Communist Party, down with Xi Jinping, they're going to be rounded up, and they're going to face a very uncertain and probably unpleasant future. 
Mm. You mentioned the event from Thursday, this fire that happened, and people were locked inside their apartments so they could not escape. They were incinerated. This was because the government had barred the door. They couldn't get out. Is that the catalyst here, or is it just one of the catalysts? Well, for the people over the weekend, that was the catalyst because fire trucks couldn't get to the building because of COVID barriers in the streets. And also people were locked in their apartments. And because children died, um, that just uh, that just ripped through the Chinese people. But we've got to remember that in Zhengzhou, in central China, there have been protests at that Apple iPhone factory now since the end of last month. And those have continued on as well. So for different people, there are different reasons for um, protesting. I saw a very interesting story that is related. It also ties into this huge global event happening right now in Qatar, which is the, the World Cup of Soccer, where my understanding, and I've seen some of the clips, Gordon, that seem to confirm this, the Chinese government is now taking its own broadcast feed and changing the international feed for a Chinese audience to not include images or camera shots of the fans because the fans in the stands are gathering, not wearing masks, living their lives. And I guess the government in China was worried that people were going to see these unmasked spectators and get even more angry about how heavy handed the CCP response has been to all of this and say, look at what the world is doing and look what they're doing to us here. So they're now just editing out in real time any cutaway shots to the stands or the crowd and doing close-up shots of players and coaches instead. I think that's a pretty remarkable thing. It's, it's propaganda. They're skilled at propaganda. I just wonder, is there an ability for that sort of manipulation to break through in the 21st century? Can they really keep a lid on this kind of thing the way they're trying to? No, I don't think they can. I mean, the, the party, which is really skilled at, at propaganda and thinks all the, about all these things, you know, well in advance, they were taken by surprise by, you know, Chinese netizens and people across the country who were looking at the World Cup feeds and saying, um, basically, do we live on the same planet as Qatar? How can these people, you know, not wear masks? And it dawned on the Chinese that their that their country is isolated, that they are basically so far behind the rest of the world. And that's the reason why the party then started to um, edit the feeds, as you mentioned. Um, this shows that the party's COVID policies, in fact, have not worked. Gordon, I want to talk about the U.S. response, the response from the Biden administration. I have a soundbite for you here in just a second. First, here is a statement that the White House put out earlier, quoting now, we've said that zero COVID, which is the CCP policy, we've said that zero COVID is not a policy we are pursuing here in the United States. And as we've said, we think it is going to be very difficult for the People's Republic of China to be able to contain this virus through their zero COVID strategy. For us, we are focused on what works, and that means using the public health tools like continuing to enhance vaccination rates, including boosters, and making testing and treatment easily accessible. We've long said everyone has the right to peacefully protest here in the United States and around the world. This includes the PRC. I mean, that strikes me as extremely tepid, weak sauce. Then there was a question just a few minutes ago at the White House. John Kirby was briefing at the podium, and here is what that sounded like. Cut 17. Listen. 
I'm wondering, what is the president's reaction when he hears protesters in China chant freedom or Xi Jinping step down? The president's not going to speak for protesters around the world. They're speaking for themselves. So there's no reaction? This, the, the, these protesters are speaking for themselves. What we are doing is making it clear that we support the right of peaceful protest. All right, Gordon. So I read the White House statement. You just heard there from John Kirby at the White House, who's one of their top spokesmen, NSC, saying the protesters are speaking for themselves. I would imagine that the argument for this posture from the U.S. is don't put U.S. fingerprints on any of this. Let it all be organic, you know, bottom up, bubbling up in China. Let's not make this about the U.S. I understand that. I also recognize that the U.S. and the president in particular has a very powerful, excuse me, powerful megaphone on behalf of freedom. There are people putting their lives and freedom on the line to protest regimes in Iran and now in China as well. And I just wonder if this type of statement is sufficient in terms of giving them encouragement and solidarity from a country that ought to be the beacon of freedom around the world. Yeah, I, I, John Kirby just leaves me speechless. Um, and the problem here is that, as you say, the United States is an inspiration to people around the world. And that's why we have um, a special obligation. Um, and for Kirby to say, well, oh, we don't speak for them. Um, I'm sorry, um, but the president of the United States and John Kirby should have gotten to the podium and said the United States will impose severe consequences on China should it use force against protesters and make it very clear that we were going to use the power of the United States to protect ourselves. And the reason why it's protecting ourselves, Guy, is because the Chinese Communist Party views the United States as an existential threat, not because of anything we say, not because of anything we do, but because it is worried about the inspirational impact of American values and the American form of governance. We've got to recognize that this is an existential fight, and if we don't fight it, we're going to lose our country. So, John Kirby, you know, get some, uh, get some courage. Finally, Gordon, I know this is an impossible question, but based on what you know and what you're seeing, what might come next in China with the protests breaking out the way that they are, my understanding is the government has relaxed some of the restrictions a bit because of this uprising. I guess they're responding. Maybe they're scared, saying, wow, we weren't expecting this. Let's let's back off a little bit here. What direction does this thing head? Well, over the weekend, People's Daily, which is the most authoritative publication in China, um, issued an editorial saying that uh, zero COVID was the way to go. Now, the regime did back off on November 11th when it issued those 20 liberalizations. But uh, we have seen that that's been sort of uh, not really honored by local officials. And we've also seen that, um, you know, when in the face of these protests, the regime has cracked down. So they, they have not given ground since Thursday on this. Oh, and by the way, what's what's going to happen? I think there's going to be a long period of instability where the Communist Party and the Chinese people go at it each other, um, because this is not over by any means. Gordon Chang is author of the book, The Coming Collapse of China. If you want to stay abreast of this, you can follow him on Twitter at Gordon G. Chang. We, of course, are following it closely here as well. Gordon, much appreciated. Thank you so much. Well, thank you, Guy. And I really appreciate the opportunity. With that, we will step aside. We will come right back. It is The Guy Benson Show.
The Guy Benson Show. More next. Out of the gates and ready to go. Hey, it's Hutton Withrow. Hot Mike is here on the Outkick Network. We've got your afternoon covered with the latest sports discussion, and it's available wherever you find your audio. Daily analysis and news. He is hot. I am Mike. Actually, my <laughs> name is Chad. His name is Jonathan. But you get the picture. We're going to bring it every single day. Whatever you want to call us, we'll respond to. We just want you to respond to what we're dishing out every day. And while you're here, we hope you subscribe to the podcast, like, subscribe, and share. As we continue here on the Guy Benson Show, glad you're here. Did you see this, by the way? The World Health Organization has officially renamed monkeypox M-pox. You feel better now? Oh, thank heavens. It's now just M-pox. I wouldn't say it was eradicated in this country, but it plummeted. Cases in this country plummeted really No thanks to the federal government, which was highly inept, screwing things up left and right at HHS and the totally unqualified health secretary. We talked about that here on the show. A lot of people in the LGBT community where this was most prominent, most prevalent, they got together and got a bunch of people vaccinated. That's what happened. Despite the federal government and their incompetence. For that reason, we haven't been talking a lot about monkeypox. But now it's got an official new name, M-pox, because monkeypox, I guess, is problematic because, if I recall correctly, it's racist, even though, to me, it seems like you would have to be a racist to think it was racist. But there you have it. Important priorities at the WHO. And speaking of priorities, there is a piece out today, a column in The Wall Street Journal, by Mary Anastasia O'Grady, who's been on the show before. Headline, Biden's dirty oil deal with Venezuela. And she lays out yet another just embarrassing energy policy from this administration, which has just handcuffed itself like one of these doomsday environmentalist protesters, like they've glued themselves to a piece of artwork or whatever they're doing these days. That is the equivalent of what this administration's policy has become. They are completely beholden to the environmentalist left and making horrible decisions for the United States and our allies. So I'll read to you part of this column from O'Grady. At the United Nations Climate Conference in Egypt, the U.S. agreed to pay environmental reparations to developing countries. Isn't that a wonderful use of our taxpayer money? Environmental reparations to developing countries. Now, some of those developing countries, by the way, are emitting huge amounts of carbon emissions, right? China, India, other global competitors are out there happily emitting. And I guess we're just ponying up tax dollars to pay reparations for our gluttony. That's totally backwards. That's just the first sentence, by the way, of her column. Days later, it emerged that the Biden administration would issue a new license to Chevron to resume operations in joint ventures with Venezuela's state-owned oil company, PDVSA. The U.S. government thinks you're a fool, dear reader. And not only because it waited until Americans were en route to Grandma's house for Thanksgiving to let news slip of the deal— 
to increase heavy crude output from joint ventures controlled by a dictatorship allied with Iran, or that it expects you to believe that Venezuela is considering a return to free elections in exchange. This is what the regime in Caracas has said. Oh, yes, oh yes we'll consider real elections again. But let's get that oil flowing and that money. Thank you very much. That's the deal that Biden is making with the Venezuelans. While they've shackled the U.S. energy industry here, and they try to pretend that's not the case, and then they brag that they're doing it, right? If you listen to them one day, oh, no, we're not. We're not doing anything. We're not limiting anything. It's just the greedy oil companies. They aren't drilling. They have all these permits. They're just not drilling. It's their choice. And then the next day they say, oh, yeah, we've shut them down. We're going to put them out of business. Look at what we're doing. It just depends on the audience, who they're lying to. And they're lying generally to the overall public and telling the truth to the hardcore base. O'Grady writes, presumably you also haven't noticed, and this is something I had never heard of, by the way. You also haven't noticed Team Biden's effort to impede the development of huge reserves of light, sweet crude from Guyana, a U.S. ally. Washington policymakers occasionally make miscalculations that help American enemies undermine development of a poor country, or harm U.S. economic interests. But to nail the trifecta requires a special blend of ideological blindness and incompetence that is mercifully rare. Still, as this administration's treatment of Guyana demonstrates, it does happen. So apparently this South American country, Guyana, has, and it's just recently been discovered in the last number of years here, that they have huge deposits of oil offshore, huge. On a per capita basis, only the nation of Kuwait has more oil. This is a U.S. ally in our hemisphere. And this seems like a good opportunity for the United States to not go begging various authoritarian regimes and instead helping with resources an ally produce reliable energy. The estimate is about 11 billion oil equivalent barrels that they have. And yet, with U.S. interests trying to go and exploit that and take advantage of that opportunity, the Biden administration is throwing up roadblocks all over the place, vetoing loans because of environmental reasons. They want to be climate conscious, climate conscious. Yep, yep, yep. Well, guess who's stepping into the breach and helping? China. Of course they are. What a disaster this administration is on almost every level. And we have at least two more years of it. Buckle up. Another hour coming up on The Guy Benson Show. Live from the most powerful city in the world, unconventional talk from a fresh, unconventional conservative, Guy Benson Show. A new hour underway here on The Guy Benson Show. Thank you for listening. GuyBensonShow.com is our website. The podcast is always free after the show is over, just after 6 p.m. Eastern every single day. GuyBensonShow.com, FoxNewsPodcast.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. <clears throat> get your podcasts, I should say. You can also follow us on social media, at Guy Benson Show, Twitter and Instagram, both of those platforms, at Guy Benson Show. Catch me tonight. I'll be on Special Report on the panel with Brett Baer, and that whole team right around 645 Eastern or so. That's on Fox News Channel. 
Fox News alert as we begin this middle hour. The Dow falling big time today, down 497 points at the close, ending at 33,849. With us now is Howie Kurtz, host of Media Buzz on Fox News Channel every Sunday morning at 11 a.m. Eastern Time. He also has the podcast Media Buzz Meter. You can follow him on Twitter at Howard Kurtz. And Howie, it's great to have you back. Hope you had a nice Thanksgiving. I hope you had one as well. I want to talk a little bit about this controversy involving a dinner at Mar-a-Lago just in the last couple of days that has come to light. Kanye West was there having dinner with former President Trump, and I guess Kanye West is talking about running for president, and he's got some people working for him who are just vile bigots, not the type of like, oh, they've said something and cancel culture is coming for them. People, one in particular who has been openly, aggressively racist and anti-Semitic over and over again. It's like his whole shtick. He has now somehow gotten into the orbit of Kanye West. He and one of these other sort of provocateurs went, and somehow I guess it was decided that it was appropriate for the former president to have dinner with all of them, and then it would appear that they leaked that they had this dinner with Trump, and they're attacking Trump and saying now he's too weak and he can't be president again, and really Kanye is the one who has to be president. It's a big publicity stunt. It seems to be working rather well. I don't really want to use their names because they're just awful, awful people who believe toxic and disgusting things. But I see their names and faces plastered everywhere, especially on some of our competitors. They are getting more attention and sort of like an amplified message and a boost to who they are and their their visibility uh, more than a, probably they ever dreamed of. That's a big preamble, Howie, to the question, which is how big of a news story is this? I think it's awful that Trump met with them and had dinner with them. If he didn't know who they were, which is what his claim is now, he didn't know them. It's obviously horrible staff work, and you have to wonder who he's got around him at this point. Are there any guardrails left at all? And if it is a big news story, is there a danger in the media in their haste to attack Trump and criticize Trump and also – By association, all of the Republicans who are silent. That's the other part of the story. Republicans silent. Republicans won't denounce or some Republicans silent. This is how the story evolves into more than just Trump. But if you're hammering Trump and the Republicans and in the process you are giving a huge amount of oxygen and publicity to publicity hound racists, it feels like there's a risk there as well. What is your read on this story? Well, The media outrage has gotten even greater today, and one reason for that guy is a lot of the A-list anchors and pundits who are off at Thanksgiving weekend have come back, and this is their first crack at the story. Ordinarily, I would say, you know, the media are so quick to jump on every little burp involving the former president that we do overplay a lot. I don't think that's the case here, and I know CNN and MSNBC have gone crazy on it. For one thing, he meets with Kanye West. Well, we don't have to guess about that. Kanye West has been filling um, hyperspace and Twitter with virulent anti-Semitic stuff without any backing off, without any apology uh, for several weeks now. And, you know, Trump says, well, he's a troubled man. I wanted to help him, give him advice on business. Yeah, he blew up his own business uh, with the anti-Semitic stuff that he has been spewing. Now, for the other guy who we don't have to mention, but is notorious as a Holocaust denier, as an anti-Semite, as a racist, 
Uh, and also has made his own video about this dinner at Mar-a-Lago. Um, let's take Trump at his word. Let's say that the foreign president didn't know that this guy was coming. And I think that seems to be true. Kanye just showed up with him and, and, and somebody else. Let's further take Trump at his word that, as he says here in one of three statements attempting to distance himself, I didn't know this person. Um, even with all of that, He's trying. Uh, the former president is trying to clearly not have, not take the beating that he's taking by saying, "Look, you know, they just showed up. I didn't know the guy, and so forth and so on." However, it takes about ten seconds for anybody on Trump's staff to Google this guy to see the long history of absolutely abhorrent stuff that he has said, and yet Trump has chosen not to criticize anything. Not not just condemn, but not just even a phrase of criticism, which gives some people the impression that he just doesn't want to go there, doesn't want to alienate his base. I mean, but his base is not on board. I mean, there are some fringe people out there, obviously, who might support any number of candidates, including Trump. The Trump base is not in favor of segregation like this guy is. Right. They don't hate Jews because they're Jews. Like this guy does. And I don't know what the calculation is here in Trump's mind because these bigots are out there attacking him. The people that they had dinner with him, they got their publicity, they got their moment with Trump in their dinner, and now they're using that to attack him for their own purposes. Trump just seems like he's being used and getting played here. And even if you believe that he knew nothing about these people's views, for them to get through any vet is there any vetting at all happening at Mar-a-Lago? Can you just show up with someone who's famous and it doesn't matter who you are? You're having dinner with Donald Trump all of a sudden. It just I mean, it's it's a very disgusting episode. I, I'm not saying it's a non news story. I think it reflects very badly on Trump. I understand why some Republicans might want to say it speaks for itself. We're not getting sucked into this thing. They might make a, a general denunciation of, of these people and their horrible abhorrent views. I understand why this is a big news story and why certain outlets are covering it almost wall to wall. But I do think I think the crux of of my concern, Howie, is not that Trump is being unfairly attacked here. I don't think that's the case. I do think that the name and face of these horrible people are just sort of plastered everywhere. And if you wanted to have a giant national billboard basically advertising your fringe views to get some more people curious to start going down the rabbit hole. I don't know if they could have paid for better advertising. I'm not sure what the ethical responsibility is of journalists and people like you and me who are trying to talk about the story responsibly without sort of being PR agents and taking the bait for some of these people who are just awful. Well, I only spent a few short minutes uh, on my program, Media Buzz, yesterday, and yet that's the thing that got picked up. Megan McCain was on. She said that uh, the show that Donald Trump was unfit for office and at a time when uh, anti-Semitic attacks are, are surging again. And look, Donald Trump knows how to fight back. He simply could have put out a statement saying, even without naming the guy, saying there's no place for anti-Semitism or uh, Holocaust deniers or any of that. He chose not to do that. Um, and I think 
that he could have shut this down with any kind of a statement like that. It is true. Most Republicans have been silent. They just want this to go away. Some of the people in Trump world, his own advisors are wringing their hands. I mean, it's only the week after he announced and he's involved in this whole uh, controversy. He's having dinner with with racist Holocaust deniers. Like, I mean, that's this is not a great campaign launch. Right. But I mean, it should be a slam dunk. I mean, even Breitbart was was criticizing Trump over this. This is this should be it should be the easiest layup in politics to say I condemn anti-Semitism. Of course, then he has to explain why he invited Kanye. Kanye didn't just show up. He may have brought this mm-hmm. other guy, but Kanye was invited. And the, the kicker here, the irony of it is um, this notorious anti-Semite apparently gets along well with Trump. Trump says, I like the guy. Maybe he knew he was, maybe he didn't know he was. Again, I'm not going to read his mind on this. But then he tells Trump, according to his own video, uh, you know, you were one of the greatest Americans ever. You have been my hero. But I think it's time to move on, and I'm backing Ron DeSantis. So, boom, (laughs) the guy gets to score dinner with the former president and declared presidential candidate for 2024, and yet he gets dissed by the – Guy who is yeah, although I've, obviously milking this I've heard that that has been disputed, that he wasn't, in fact, endorsing DeSantis, and that was sort of edited, and that he's also upset with DeSantis, and he's supporting Kanye West for president, the guy he's working for. I don't care who this guy's supporting or says he's supporting. It's all a giant manipulation. I don't want to talk really about them anymore. It's just it, the whole thing reflects badly on everyone involved. Howie, we have 30 seconds left. Just very quickly, are you tired of the media freak out over Elon Musk and Twitter yet? I mean, it's just been exhausting for weeks to me. Um, I personally am very grateful to Elon Musk because he keeps <laughs> me in business. I mean, everything he does is interesting. And he is somebody who is, says he supports Ron DeSantis, by the way. But yes, that is true. constant attacks, including an MSNBC, air quotes, reporter who says, you know, he actually urged his uh, viewers, um, don't go to Twitter. You don't have to go there. I mean, it's just a website. I mean, I have to go there, but you don't have to go there. Um, all because he took over. And now, maybe you've experienced this, I've heard anecdotally, there's a story out in the Washington Post that says, since Musk took over, um, Republicans have seen a surge, like 300,000. Yeah, there's been a lot of attention on Twitter because of the attacks. I just think the meltdown is so silly. Howie Kurtz, enjoy chatting with you as always. We'll be right back. I'm Guy Benson. Welcome back to The Guy Benson Show. It's time for Woke Tales. Woke Tales. So we've told you recently here about some of the madness in Washington, D.C., including the D.C. City Council and all its wisdom, unanimously passing so-called reforms on so-called criminal justice that would, among other things, reduce criminal penalties, reduce criminal penalties for a series of crimes, including gun and firearm offenses. Yes, from the big anti-gun people, except they're going to make it easier for criminals to get away with lighter sentences or no sentences at all for gun crimes, illegal possession and that sort of thing, which seems like a contradiction to me. And then they're also bringing down mandatory sentencing, reducing it on crimes, violent crimes like carjacking. Carjackings have exploded. Carjackings have tripled in Washington, D.C. since 2019, based on the official statistics, tripled in the last few years alone. And the city council has decided in the name of equity and justice that they're going to reduce sentences for carjacking. 
it just blows my mind. I saw a story recently in the local media here in Washington, D.C., where they interviewed a former city councilman who had written a law to increase and stiffen penalties for carjacking last time carjacking became a real scourge and a problem in the early 1990s. And this guy basically said what they're doing now is the exact opposite of what works, obviously. And by the way, this former city councilman's wife got carjacked earlier this summer right outside their home. So that is the type of psychosis that has gripped the city council here in the nation's capital. And then there's also this, which I didn't bring to you yet, and you've got to hear it. There was an editorial in the Wall Street Journal about it. Headline, non-citizen bill makes aliens and diplomats D.C. voters. This reads as parody, but it's real, which is kind of often the theme of woke tales. Quoting now, hard as it is to believe the mayor of Washington, D.C., might soon be elected with votes from illegal immigrants or the staff at the Chinese embassy. Last month, the D.C. City Council passed a bill to expand the franchise in local elections to any adult with 30 days of residency. Mayor Muriel Bowser did not sign or veto it, so the bill was officially enacted on Monday without her signature. So it's now the law in D.C., The editors of The Wall Street Journal point out that, quote, a few jurisdictions have moved to let non-citizens vote in local races. But the D.C. plan stands out, given how it follows progressive ideas to a bizarre conclusion. New York City passed a non-citizen voting law that a court ruled this year was in violation of the state constitution. But that proposal at least required non-citizen voters to have U.S. work authorization. No such limitation appears in the D.C. bill, meaning illegal aliens and foreign college students would be able to vote. And that's not all. Quote, there's nothing in this measure to prevent employees at embassies of governments that are openly hostile to the United States from casting ballots, the Washington Post reported. And the journal editorial calls this an example of progressive decadence. And I think that is very well said. So based on what the council has passed here in our nation's capital, with the sort of passive assent of the mayor who cravenly did not support or veto the bill. It just became automatically the law because she did nothing with it. And under these provisions, under the new reality here, anyone who is like a warm body living in Washington, D.C. for a month can now become a Washington, D.C. voter. And if that means you're an illegal immigrant who crossed the border and got bused to D.C. from Texas, for example, if you've hung out in some shelters or on the streets for a month, congratulations, you can now vote in Washington, D.C. If you are a worker at the embassy of, let's say, China or Russia, congratulations, you are now a voter in Washington, D.C. It's mind-blowing. They could have gone the direction of some of these other psycho left-wing cities where they're letting non-citizens vote if you have a green card or whatever. They went even further here in D.C. It's like anyone. Come one, come all. You can all vote. It doesn't matter who you are. Now, part of me does wonder, could these foreigners and illegal immigrants make any worse decisions than the citizens of Washington, D.C. already have? Arguably not. But that's beyond the point. This is the next round, the next realm, the next frontier of what the hard left wants. When they talk about voting rights, 
This is what they have in mind. And I'm sure objecting to this, saying, oh, you know what, maybe like Russian diplomats and illegal immigrants shouldn't be able to vote in our elections in America. Just, I guess, expressing that sentiment out loud at some point is going to become an attack on voting rights and, quote, unquote, suppression. These are the games that they play. And they can say, oh, well, this is just a caricature of what right-wingers would dream up in their fever swamp imaginations. Well, no, this is actually what has now passed into law by the government of the capital city of the United States of America. We did not invent this. We are just noticing what happened and reporting it to all of you. It is absolutely nuts. And yet here we are. And by the way, the people in D.C. and the Democrats up on Capitol Hill, they want this jurisdiction, this unhinged, ludicrous place to become its own state with two U.S. senators. (laughs) Absolutely not hard pass. This is like Exhibit 1000. Why? And that's Woke Tales. When we come back, Congressman Tony Gonzalez of Texas joins us right after this on The Guy Benson Show. You're listening to a new generation of talk, Guy Benson. Back on the Guy Benson Show. Thanks for listening. Joining me now is Congressman Tony Gonzalez, a Republican of Texas 23, who just won, by the way, a big reelection by roughly 18 points. So welcome back to the show and congratulations on the win. Thank you. Yeah, no, we worked our guts out. This is this seat had always been kind of a middle of the road, tough seat, and I'm glad we've uh, taken it off the table. Yeah, I mean, it's not a competitive race, at least this year it wasn't, and that's due to a lot of work. And certainly some shifts down in Texas. There were red wave remnants in certain parts of the country. There was a blue tide or bluer tide elsewhere, but not in Texas, where Republicans overall, for the most part, up and down the ballot did very well. And I would imagine one of the reasons why is the border crisis that Texans are so upset about. This is an issue that I know that the Republican House when the gavel switches hands in a few weeks, is going to be focused on. And in fact, last week, the potential Speaker of the House, Kevin McCarthy, and some Republicans came down to the border. You were down there, of course, as well, hosting them, just to draw attention to the issue, to also call for the resignation, in the case of McCarthy, of Alejandro Mayorkas, the DHS secretary. Just talk us through that visit. What goals did you all have in mind? You know, I think it was a, it was a couple of things. One, I mean, this is Kevin McCarthy's third time. Uh, this is the third time I host Kevin McCarthy at the border. And the fact that, you know, he calls me and goes, hey, Tony, I want to go to the border for Thanksgiving week and just show the Border Patrol agents that we appreciate them meant a lot to me, certainly meant a lot to the people that were there as well, the agents that are on the ground. So it shows his commitment to it. The other part of it is just constantly highlighting the failed policies by the Biden administration. You know, you mentioned the the, uh, the elections, and Democrats do an amazing job of messaging and turning a loss into a win. You know, they've got they've got everyone in in a frenzy going, oh, you know, the, the Republicans underperformed. In reality, we've won back the House with the same majority with the same margin that they have. 
they do a great job of messaging on that. Some of those wins were, you know, we got Monica De La Cruz coming in Texas 15, who is going to be a border uh, border area there. And, and I won some district, I won some counties that had never been flipped to Republican in history. So having, having Kevin McCarthy in El Paso, Right now, El Paso is the epicenter of it. It changes back and forth. Sometimes it's Laredo. Sometimes it's McAllen. Eagle Pass certainly has got it, and Del Rio have gotten a lot of attention. But El Paso, so to have Kevin McCarthy go to the epicenter, listen to folks, hear it, you know, kind of talk to folks, let them know that help is kind of on the way, I think is very important. Do you agree that the DHS secretary ought to resign? Oh, 100%. You know, he, is, he has failed uh, – a wide variety of reasons, but you know the number one thing to me that pops out is the amount of terrorists, uh, the folks on the terrorist watch list that have come through. I mean, these are historic numbers that is dangerous to America. That's one. The number two thing, and, and you know the numbers are through the roof. But the number two thing is we've this year there have been 14 border patrol agents that have committed suicide. That is in his in his department. You know, border patrol was under his watch. That, to me, that is failed leadership. You know, those two things right there, I'm, I haven't even gotten into the gotaways and the numbers, and I, I'm talking about uh, other things, but those two reasons right there is why Mallorca should be held accountable. He should certainly resign be, and, and allow someone else to, uh, to do the job that he's not doing. Yeah, unfortunately, whoever would replace him if he were to resign or be impeached and removed, I think – that new individual would just carry out the exact same failed policies. But the number that you just pointed out about suicides is really very sad and tragic. This DHS secretary has participated willingly and willfully in a smear of Border Patrol back with the so-called whipping controversy. It was a lie, and he went along with it because that's what the politics demanded. And I know that you said you didn't get into the gotaways, but I don't think you can separate that from the other issue that you raised, which is the terror watch list suspects being stopped at the border. A record number last year, a huge number just in the last few months alone, dwarfing previous years, for example. People might say, oh, well, at least we're catching these folks. It's disturbing that they're trying to come through, but these people were apprehended. But we don't know how many of dangerous, but we don't know how many dangerous people, potential terrorists or gang members or cartel thugs or whomever else were among the 64,000-plus known gotaways last month alone. I mean, it's a tip of the iceberg that we're seeing in terms of people, the most dangerous people, who are apprehended because those are the folks, as we say so often, Congressman, those are the types of folks who are most incentivized not to get caught, to elude capture and try to make sure that they are among those known and unknown gotaways in that category. Oh, you're you're 100 percent right. You know, there's people all over the world that hate us, that, that want to kill Americans simply because we're Americans. And to think that that folks aren't trying to exploit our border is is nonsense. And, you know, I've I've heard, I've, heard, I've, I've had conversations with the, this, the secretary Mayorkas. He was in my office a couple of months ago. We, we outlined I asked him for a few things. I go, look, Mr. Secretary, I'm rooting for you. I want you to succeed because if you succeed, America succeeds. If you fail, America fails. And yet they continue down this political realm. They just, they just, as if they're blind to it. So, well, no, so it, I think it's deliberate. It's deliberate failure. They know what's happening. Yes. They know what yes. their policies are wreaking. They see it every day. They've been called out on it. They don't care. They don't really have a problem with it so long as their base, their activists or whatever, aren't that upset with them. 
they are willing to continue this so they can come out and say we are doing the opposite of Trump, even if it is resulting in a catastrophe. And maybe they've made the calculation, Congressman, that because Republicans only won a relatively small victory a couple weeks ago, that it's not really a top priority for people so they can keep getting away with it politically. You know, you're on to something there. I mean, they have essentially made this political calculation that they're willing to accept, uh, you know, what is happening at the border. The way I look at it is the Senate has failed twice now. That's two cycles in which we've lost the Senate. The The House Republicans are the first and last line of defense. And part of it, I know there's a lot of talk of of investigations, and rightfully so. That's part of the arm of of uh, Congress. But the other part needs to be the power of the purse. You know, I sit on the Appropriations Committee. It can't just be, hey, don't do this. It, it, it has to be, hey, don't do this or else. Meaning, you know, if you want to to turn DHS upside down, you know, I can't stop you from doing that. But what I can do is I can hold the purse strings, and we can we can start to have some accountability from a financial standpoint. Oftentimes, you squeeze. From the purse strings, and you, you'd be amazed on, on what kind of results you get. So I, I look at it, House Republicans, we owe it to the American public. We have to do something. It can't just be infighting. It can't just be grandstanding. You know, there has to be actions because, like you mentioned earlier, we have terrorists that are coming – are possible terrorists coming into the United States that want to harm us. If the secretary, Mr. Mayorkas, does not resign of his own volition, and he has indicated that he will not, obviously – Do you think it would be a worthwhile endeavor and a good use of the Republican majority's time come January and beyond to impeach him? You know, I think we we House Republicans owe it to the American public to highlight every single failure of this Biden administration, from the 13 Americans that were killed in Afghanistan to uh, the the suicides. Like I mentioned earlier, why are why are Border Patrol agents killing themselves? You know, what is what is? And it, we haven't even gotten into the really into the thick of the holidays yet. We owe it to the American public to turn it upside down. I will say, like there are some wins that are happening, guy, that aren't really making it out, and and one of those is uh, the commissioner, Magnus, resigned. He was forcefully resigned. And the only reason that happened is because Mayorkas is getting so much pressure to change something. And like any good politician, you know, they'll slit someone else's throat before their own. So they're scrambling. That, to me, getting rid of, of Commissioner Magnus is addition by subtraction. He was a bad guy. But there needs to be more. So, uh, yes, I think we, need, we should hold investigations. But I look beyond that. You know, the people in my district, we want results. I mean, our, our fences are getting cut. Our schools are going into lockdown. This can't be two more years of the same. Something has to give. You mentioned that Kevin McCarthy has now been down there three times, what, in the last couple of years now, most recently last week, down at the border in different places, Republicans really drawing attention to the problem. At the White House, Corrine Jean-Pierre, the spokeswoman for President Biden, said that the visit and the press conference and everything that you guys did down there was just a political stunt, which is exactly what they described the busing of illegal migrants to various blue sanctuary jurisdictions as. They had the exact same phrase. It's a political stunt. It seems to me like in their book, anything that highlights the problem at all, that focuses any attention or scrutiny on the problem, they're just going to call it a political stunt because they don't really have an answer beyond that. That's that's what it looks like to me. And I guess if they want to call them stunts, that's their business. But the reality doesn't change, Congressman. The reality that those frontline agents are having to deal with every single day, I would imagine a lot of them welcome 
quote-unquote stunts if it means people knowing what's happening. You know, it, you're right. And, you, you know, it, it bothered me that, you know, they call it a political stunt. I get it. It's politics. But when you look at it, here we here we, you had seven members of Congress, to include the future Speaker of the House, travel down here. And we were, we were serving Thanksgiving meals. Part of that visit was serving Thanksgiving meals to our Border Patrol agents, very similar that, that you'd see to our, our troops abroad, just thanking them for the job that they're doing, right? If you view it through that scope, you can take the politics out of it and just go, hey, how do we thank those servants – that are just going to work, doing, doing, you know, doing good work, instead of making everything political. The, the other aspect of it too is once you go there, just showing up matters. And mm-hmm. you know, I when, when I hosted the president, I hosted the president of the United States right after Uvalde. And one of the things that I asked him for, I pulled him aside. I said, Mr. President, now is not the time or place, but I would love to visit with you in the White House to talk about how we can secure this border. I have asked if I have reached out to the White House every single week for the past six months, basically, you know, asking for this meeting because it's in it's in my it's in everyone's best interest that we secure this border. No, they can turn a blind eye. Yeah, they they have no interest in that, and I think it couldn't be any more obvious or abundantly clear based on their actions and their policies. Quickly, Congressman, at the border, this collapse of Title Forty Two. Talk about what you're seeing on that front. Yes. So when we were in uh, El Paso, when uh, Kevin McCarthy and the delegation was in El Paso, well, we visited under a bridge there. Uh, I'd visited this previous spot four weeks ago, 700 people under this bridge that day. We happen to show up and there's no one under the bridge, right? Imagine that. Border Patrol agents are going, you know, five hours ago, there was 400 people here, Tony. You show up and there's no one here. But across the river was all these encampments. And so one of the things that the Mexican government has done is taking the people in that in those camps and put them in to uh, these these NGOs these uh, these shelters because the weather is getting pretty pretty tough. Everyone is essentially waiting for December 21st. They've circled it on the calendar and they're going to bum rush the border to get over because that's the day Title 42 goes away. It's all fun and games until you're so that meaning like the quick the run. quick expulsions can no longer happen under COVID rules. So they're using COVID rules and extending, for example, the student loan scheme due to the emergency of COVID. But then on this issue, the emergency is over. And so the various provisions like Title 42 and the enforcement mechanisms, some of the few that are left, those are now gone, right? It seems like they are just cherry picking, selecting for political reasons when they want to turn COVID on, when they want to turn it off. That's exactly right. And look, Title 42 needs to go away at some point. My, my, my standpoint, many of House Republicans have been, what are we going to transition to, right? Let's have a discussion on that instead of just doing away with the last policy that's actually working in, in hopes of, of it, that somehow is going to make things better. Meanwhile, I saw this story this morning on Fox on air marshals where they're pulling them out of the skies where they're supposed to be doing their jobs and instead sending them down to process people at the border, which is not really their job, but I guess they need warm bodies just to process folks and kind of be part of this whole system. We are putting travelers at greater needless risk because of these failed policies, and it's not just, again, border communities that are being affected by it. And I think it's just important to know that they are now sucking resources down there, not to fix the problem, but to manage an insane out-of-control problem in terms of getting people's paperwork filled out when people should be out there on the front lines doing their law enforcement jobs. 
because of this disaster that they've created down there. That is happening less and less in other sectors of the country. I just wanted to highlight that as well. Congressman Gonzalez, last question briefly. You mentioned Kevin McCarthy here a couple times. Are you confident that he will eventually get the votes that he needs to become Speaker of the House? Because I know some of your Republican colleagues aren't sold on that yet, it seems. I'm 100 percent confident. Uh, Not only is is Kevin McCarthy going to be the speaker, but we're going to have an effective year because the American public demand it. Um, And and you know what? We have fired Nancy Pelosi. We should all be celebrating right now. But but that's not enough. It's what are we going to do when we're in when we are in power? I think is a big question. And it can't just be rhetoric. It can't just be investigations. There has to be tangible policy solutions that, that put to bed some of these failed Biden policies. Congressman Tony Gonzalez, Republican of Texas 23. Congressman, appreciate your time. Thanks for keeping this issue alive, and I'm sure we'll talk again soon. Thanks, Scott. The Guy Benson Show returns right after this. Fresh conservative talk. Guy Benson Show. We are back here on The Guy Benson Show. Glad to have you here. So my last new program that I hosted prior to Thanksgiving, we talked about what happened the previous weekend. In fact, we covered it last Monday and Tuesday. The horrible massacre at an LGBT club in Colorado Springs, Colorado. That was last weekend, last Saturday night. And I had a lot to say about it. You can go back if you'd like and read my piece at townhall.com or listen to the podcast from those days. Obviously a very disturbing and upsetting series of events. One of the things that I pointed out, both on the air and in my written pieces, we did not know specifics about the motive of the alleged gunman. We had a few clues, people were drawing conclusions, but we didn't really have a solid motive yet, even though we knew that he was charged with hate crimes or bias-inspired crimes. But what we were treated to for days was this feeding frenzy, as is so often tragically the case and infuriatingly the case, from the left that seized on this terrible atrocity as an opportunity to attack conservatives, whom they loathe and use every opportunity to attack conservatives. It's very ghoulish. They were trying to blame what the shooter did on rhetoric, on policies, on concerns that some conservatives have raised about the sexualization of children, for example, all of that stuff they said can be laid at the feet of right-wingers who are therefore to blame for what happened in Colorado Springs. That was the claim. That was the narrative. It was ubiquitous. It was everywhere. High decibel. We pushed back, as we so often do, even just saying we don't really know what's happened yet. And then since last Tuesday, an interesting wrench thrown into this mix, which is the defense attorneys for this suspect say that the suspect is non-binary and goes by they, them as their pronouns. It's like, okay, well, does that sort of change things at all? Do the assumptions still apply? Is it still right-wingers' fault? I did see some journalists, quote-unquote, like Ben Collins at NBC, just seamlessly transition from, oh, he's a right-winger who did this, inspired by his fellow right-wingers, to, oh, they were bullied by right-wingers. So it's always the right-wingers who are at fault, no matter what, even as the facts change, and as new things come to light, it's Calvin Ball. It's demagoguery, and I think that little emerging detail helped illustrate it 
very starkly. And have we seen any sort of backtracking or apologies or maybe we jumped the gun on some of our assumptions? No, of course not, because the point is to emote and to demonize and then move on. That's what they did. So I wanted to bring you that quick update, little asterisk to the narrative. Final hour of The Guy Benson Show coming up next. Dr. Manny Alvarez is here. Stay with us. It's 5 o'clock in the most powerful city in the world, Washington, D.C. It's time for The Guy Benson Show Happy Hour, sponsored by the Finnish Long Drink. Finland's most popular alcoholic beverage has come to America. Visit thelongdrink.com. And now, here's your host, Guy Benson. It is the happy hour on this Monday. It's the Guy Benson Show. Thank you very much for tuning in. Glad to have you back after the holiday weekend. Appreciate you listening. GuyBensonShow.com is our website. The podcast is free on demand every single day. GuyBensonShow.com, FoxNewsPodcast.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Tune in tonight for a special report. I'll be on the panel this evening. That's around 6.45 or so Eastern time on Fox News Channel. Brett Bayer and the team. Looking forward to joining there and hope to see you there as well. This hour here on the radio, sponsored by the Finnish Long Drink. Delicious. I had several, let's put it that way, over the Thanksgiving weekend, including a little splash of apple cider with the long drink. Absolutely delicious. You should check it out if you haven't already, if you're 21 plus only. TheLongDrink.com. I heard from a number of you over the weekend who were enjoying long drink as well. TheLongDrink.com. Always drink responsibly. Joining us now is Dr. Manny Alvarez, Fox News contributor, senior health analyst here at Fox News. And I will not be telling the doctor exactly how many long drinks I had over the long weekend. Doctor, it's good to have you back here. Hey, guy. How are you? I'm doing very well. I want to start by asking you about something that we opened with today. Dr. Fauci is still out there. I guess he hasn't quite retired yet, so he's giving a lot of interviews and he's very much on the public stage still. And he was asked a number of different questions about COVID and other related things. He said that he now has a completely open mind about where COVID comes from or came from originally. I know the lab leak emanation theory is very prominent, if not likely, in the minds of many. It's plausible and viable at the very least. There was a Senate report that pointed in that direction just recently. He still says that he believes the evidence strongly points elsewhere. I'm not sure if I would agree with that phrasing. But I do remember that this was someone who was poo-pooing and downplaying the lab leak theory as fringe and not credible back when it first emerged. It just seems like this is someone who may not have a huge amount of credibility on this question, given his evolution on it. Listen, as far as I'm concerned, uh, Fauci has no credibility. He has not been transparent. You know, it, it boggles the mind. You know, I'm a practicing physician, and I work in hospitals, and I have to abide by rules and regulations, and uh, you know, and, and answer to many committee, committees in my hospital when something goes wrong or goes right, whatever the case may be. Uh, you know, Fauci is uh, what I call a medical bureaucrat. That's you know, basically, is he has made his living all his through his life, um, uh, living on the American taxpayer dollar. Uh, having no accountability whatsoever. And, you know, at the age of whatever he is, 79 or 80, whatever the case may be, 
uh, you know, he continues to milk the cow. And this is what bureaucrats do. This is how things uh, maintain themselves uh, by fear, by lack of transparency, by putting doubt, by creating divide, which is basically, you know, we talk about the country being divided. I don't think there's been a single person in, the, in this country who has divided the country more so than Dr. Fauci. And, you know, it, it makes me sad. Um, you know, I'm not an anti-vaxxer. I believe in vaccines. Uh, that's not the case. But, you know, to me, Fauci has become the great divider, and it has been at the back of lack of transparency when it comes to the truth about the virus, who created it, where it leaked. I don't, I don't see the problem in, in saying, hey, it came out of a lab. You know, things happen, you know, but, but this is the great divide of healthcare of 2020, 2021, uh, the great health divide. And this is all in the shoulders of, of uh, Dr. Fauci. Yeah, he's been a huge part of it. And I know he was also asked about the Chinese government, the Chinese regime not really cooperating fully, which I think is putting it very mildly. They actively did not cooperate. They were obstructing and obscuring every step of the way. And he tried to blame that on the Trump administration for being too accusatory toward China. And at the very least, that is just risibly naive. At worst, it's him wittingly or unwittingly repeating Chinese talking points or communist propaganda. I just don't think that he does himself or the country a lot of favors being out there constantly on television saying this stuff. His time, as I said earlier in the show, to step off of the stage, I think, is uh, past due at this point. Meanwhile, he also answered this question. This was a CBS interview that he gave on Face the Nation talking about the current environment where you've got COVID, you've got the flu, you've got RSV involving kids. And there was a question about school closures, and he kind of hedged on this, not past school closures, future school closures. Cut 12. Coming out of the holidays, should parents expect schools to shut down? I don't know, uh, uh, Margaret. I'm not sure. When, when you talk about shutting down schools, there's always the collateral. That's also effect. radioactive. <laughs> it is, exactly. There's always the collateral issue. So you have to balance and you do it in real time, depending upon the viral load of disease in your region, whether, you know, the upper northeast may be quite different from the southwest, from the from the from the Pacific coast, from the upper northwest. So you have to have the local authorities evaluate on a situation by situation basis the, the potential collateral deleterious effects with the effects of what might happen if you have so many kids getting infected. So we heard there kind of a punt to local authorities. He's not sure whether schools should be open or closed. He said, you know, I don't know, Margaret. I'm not sure. He kind of chuckled through this point of school closures being radioactive, which they are and they should be. I just don't understand, doctor, even with this combination of challenges right now, how is it possible that we have not learned our lesson on school closures and how harmful the closing of schools for any period of time, really, for kids can be? And how do we not have a more definitive answer from top-level health experts saying, we've been through this, schools have to remain open? That's not what we heard from Dr. Fauci there. You, you, you know what boggles the mind when you use the term collateral issue? You're talking about collateral damage to American children. Yep. Plain and simple. Okay? This idiotic response by this individual has to stop. 
The American public has to stand up and say to this guy, this is a stupid answer. The collateral damage that has been created for the last year and a half plus, look at all the damage that the American children have suffered. My God, from education to mental health, what the hell did you guys do? And even to encounter the possibility that there may be a school closure as a possibility and it is a collateral issue. No, the collateral damage is American children. You know, I hope Congress does an elegant and appropriate investigation into all the shenanigans of the FDA as it pertains to this whole issue of the public health policies that they have instituted in America. And, you know, and, you know it, it saddens me that more physicians, and there's a lot of famous physicians. I'm not a famous physician. You know, forget it. I'm a little Latino guy who speaks out. That's about it. But, but you know, what I don't hear is Sanya Gupta talking CNN about the collateral issue of closing schools in 2022. It really upsets me. So, you know, I hope that Congress, as I said, does an elegant, appropriate investigation into the public policies that Fauci and his team, on, uh, based on their own gut feeling, whatever it was that drove them to do some of these policies, can explain all the damage that has been made to the American children of this country. And that, yep. is, the, that is the end. Yeah, it's just unbelievable to me. I actually went and double-checked to make sure that this was an interview that he gave this past weekend and not like a year or two ago. But, doctor, you said that these are school closures that they're talking about in 2022. Based on the timeline of the question, these would be school closures, hypothetical potential school closures that they're asking about and talking about in early 2023. I mean, we are years into this, and the idea that you would have someone of Dr. Fauci's influence not forcefully shutting down the idea of closing down American schools again is, I think, such an indictment of him and his judgment and just the lack of learning any lessons, because that's like the biggest lesson that ought to have been learned from any of this. And it has not sunk in, it would seem, for some people. But he would say, oh, no, no, I didn't say to close the schools. He always wriggles around it, right? He sort of wriggles off the hook saying it's, it is optimal to keep schools open and we don't want to have kids with learning losses. But the local officials, based on the community spread, need to blah, blah, blah. This is the way that they always couch it. And it's just amazing that you cannot have a more declarative, definitive, hell no, we're not closing the schools again response, which is the appropriate response. Dr. Manny Alvarez, I also want to ask you about this, and it's something that is just recently on my radar. We've talked about shortages of various products for a long time now in this country, for the last couple of years. Baby formula was a big one that we've been focused on. Now I'm reading more and more about a shortage of certain drugs like amoxicillin and antibiotics, even ibuprofen in some places. Ashish Jha from the White House was asked about this over the weekend on ABC, and he just pivoted right back to vaccines for flu and COVID, which is a different question than drug shortages. What are you hearing out there? Listen, for years now, and this is the great secret that people just don't know, hospitals around the country get together uh, on their own internal meetings uh, 
whether it's in a quarterly or monthly, and they look at the shortages of medication, whether it's painkillers, antibiotics. This is an annual event that has been happening for many years now, especially in the last two or three years. Yes, there is shortage of antibiotics. There's shortage of painkillers. Uh, hospitals have to sometimes change uh, things. There are sh- uh, shortages of supply when it comes to uh, you know, ventilators and, and things like that. This is a daily giving. And, you know, nobody, especially since, you know, Biden took over, has really said, oh, you know what, let's look at the functionality of, of, of products that hospitals need in a continuous basis. If you ask and if you call any CEO around the country that runs a hospital, you say, is there any medication shortage in your hospital? And they'll give you the laundry list. It's a daily event. This is something that nobody talks about. And this is the, the and it amazes me in the greatest country on earth, with the greatest resources on earth, and with multi billion dollar agencies between the NIH, the FDA, and anything that you can put a syllable to, uh, that. Nobody pays attention about the deficits of medications around the country. This is a true reality, and I'm glad uh, that you brought it to, 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 to the surface. Uh, this is why your show is one of the best shows on, on radio and, and television. Uh, you know, you are exactly on point when it comes to these things. Well, I appreciate that, but it's like, you know, somewhat self-interest. Like if I get sick over the winter— I want to be able to make sure that if I need antibiotics, I can get them. And that's true for me. It's true for my friends, for my family. Our listeners would be concerned about that for their loved ones. And if even some basic drugs are in relatively short supply, I know even the story about ibuprofen in some places, that is eye-opening. Is this a supply chain issue going back to our over-reliance on China? What's what's the root cause here? Do you have your arms around that? I would say it's multifactorial. Maybe, yes, it is definitely uh, uh, supply chain issues. And there are some, you know, remember, a lot of our, our generic drugs don't get manufactured in this country. So it's about cost effectiveness of a lot of uh, pharmaceutical companies saying, you know, it's not worth for me to, to, to create ampicillin. It's too cheap. Uh, so it's a combination of things. But at, at the end of the day, you know, a lot of countries put priorities on the basic stuff. You know, you know, we talk about, uh, you know, our, our, our fuel resources in America. Hey, does every American have heating oil and, and, and gas to heat their homes in the winter? There are essential core things. This is why Americans pay taxes and they elect representatives so that the core issues and health care is a core issue. So you have to keep an eye on these things. The problem is that you have a lot of bureaucrats in Washington in the business of health care that, you know, they don't pay attention to keeping America safe. And in order to keep America safe, you keep you have to keep health care safe. You know, and, well, you, you know, have to be ahead of things. Right. That's the other thing. I feel like with this administration in particular, there is a crisis here, a crisis there. Something crops up. And if you dig just a little bit beneath the surface, you find out that it was entirely predictable. It was warned about. I'm thinking again of the baby formula shortage, which my understanding it is still not fully resolved in this country. And then they all look around like, oh, gosh, this is a real problem. We're uh, we're working tirelessly to try to fix the problem. And it's debatable whether that they are actually working tirelessly to do anything productive, but they are certainly working belatedly to do things. 
and it would be more confidence-inspiring if our leaders could anticipate and deal with problems productively and competently rather than wait around and then blame everyone else or deny that there's a problem until it's undeniable. It just seems like a, a repeat pattern over and over again. The details might be different. The specifics might not be exactly the same. It's not perfectly analogous, but the outcome and the feeling of lack of preparedness and crisis and shortage, that is unfortunately a very familiar one. And it's one that we're going to continue to cover and track here on The Guy Benson Show. Dr. Manny Alvarez is a Fox News contributor, senior health analyst here at the network, of course, a medical doctor as well. And it's great to have you, doctor. Happy holidays. We're getting close to Christmas time, so I'm sure we'll talk again soon. I'm sure. Thank you, Guy. Bye. Dr. Manny Alvarez on The Guy Benson Show. We'll be right back. The Guy Benson Show. More next. Happy hour here on The Guy Benson Show. Let's talk very briefly about the World Cup, this soccer tournament you might have heard of. It's happening over in Qatar. And Team USA had, after a very disappointing tie against Wales in Game 1, their second game was England. England was heavily favored, and the U.S. didn't lose, but they didn't win. It was a tie. No scoring at all. Zero goals by anyone. So thrilling. Such a thrilling game. No wonder America is so deeply in love with soccer. Christine offered to just yell goal for this whole segment, but there were no goals in that game. 0-0 tie. So Team USA has now played two games with the extra time and overtimes or whatever. They have played a total of four hours of soccer, and they have scored exactly one goal in those four hours. Can you feel the excitement? I prefer sports where things happen. Oh, they hit a crossbar against England. Oh, But I'm rooting for them. I hope they do well. I hope they advance. I think to advance, they have to win. They can't tie again. They have to win against Iran tomorrow. Dan, is that right? Yes, they have to beat Iran tomorrow at 2 p.m. They are the slight favorite because Iran beat Wales, um, and we tied with them. So we are just a slight, slight favorite over them, and we have to win tomorrow to make it through. And England destroyed them, I think, 6-2, to destroyed Iran. So we'll see how it goes. There's a whole stupid flare-up over a graphic in the Iranian flag and their government's posturing that they're all angry about how Team USA used the wrong flag for Iran. Well, we'll see what happens tomorrow. Team USA has to win to advance to the next round, the knockout round, I think they call it, where I think actually ties aren't allowed anymore, thank God. So hopefully USA wins tomorrow. We'll keep an eye on that. We'll be rooting even though, you know, seems like the likeliest outcome could be yet another tie. Let's hope not. The Guy Benson Show, back right after this. Talking about the issues you care about, Guy Benson. Back here on this happy hour here on Monday, it's the Guy Benson Show. Thanks for listening. Earlier today, we caught up with Gordon Chang, China hawk, China expert, author of The Coming Collapse of China, talking about the remarkable events playing out in that country right now. Here's part of our conversation with Gordon Chang. What is the context that we need to know about for what's happening? Why is this happening on such a widespread scale? And why is it significant? Across Chinese society, um, people um, have realized that the Communist Party must go. They do not want Xi Jinping. 
And as a great Chinese historian, Yu Yangshi, said in about 1949, when the communists took power, he said that the communists took power because the nationalists of Chiang Kai-shek, who had far superior resources to the ragtag commies, um, he said, look, the nationalists had lost people's hearts. Well, today, the Communist Party has lost people's hearts. And so the party can intimidate people, coerce them, imprison them. Um, but it, right now, it has no loyalty among the Chinese people, um, except for some pretty small pockets. And that means that when you have an incident like occurred on Thursday or the fire in Urumqi, um, anything can happen. You can have these demonstrations explode across Chinese society, which is what happened on Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. Chanting like, we want freedom, that was one chant, unlock China, down with Xi Jinping, down with the Communist Party. I mean, it takes some real guts to say anything like that in public. I've seen some very disturbing videos of protesters getting beaten and uh, assaulted by the police, by the officials there, taken into custody and detained. The BBC has put out a statement about one of their journalists in Shanghai who was roughed up badly by Chinese authorities and arrested. And the CCP in classic commie doublespeak is saying, oh, he was arrested for his own safety, uh, which is just nuts. But it's not one or two little isolated incidents, Gordon. This is happening all across China, which I think is pretty amazing. Would you describe this as unprecedented? Yes. Um, well, you could look at 1989, where you had protests in Beijing and 370 other cities, um, and those also were not organized. They were spontaneous. They were leaderless. That's what has happened over the weekend. Nobody, you know, sat on a phone and said, let's all demonstrate in these 16 cities. Um, it actually happened uh, that people independently decided to protest at great risk to themselves. Because we've got to remember that the Communist Party runs the world's most sophisticated and efficient surveillance state. They have, you know, somewhere between 540 to 620 million surveillance cameras. They've got uh, artificial um, intelligence, facial recognition software. People who have said things like you mentioned, like down with the Communist Party, down with Xi Jinping, they're going to be rounded up, and they're going to face a very uncertain and probably unpleasant future. Mm. You mentioned the event from Thursday, this fire that happened, and people were locked inside their apartments, so they could not escape. They were incinerated. This was because the government had barred the door. They couldn't get out. Is that the catalyst here, or is it just one of the catalysts? Well, for the people over the weekend, that was the catalyst, because fire trucks couldn't get to the building because of COVID barriers in the streets, and also people were locked in their apartments. And because children died, um, that just uh, that just ripped through the Chinese people. But we've got to remember that in Zhengzhou, in central China, there have been protests at that Apple iPhone factory now since the end of last month. That full interview and all of today's show available online for free on demand on our podcast, GuyBensonShow.com, FoxNewsPodcast.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. When we come back, the home stretch, a look back at Thanksgiving, the greatest holiday, and look ahead to the Christmas party. It is officially party week here on the Guy Benson Show. All of that and more straight ahead. For the full interview and more, go to GuyBensonShow.com.
Homestretch, Monday edition here on the Guy Benson Show. GuyBensonShow.com, our online home. Podcast is free every day. Catch me tonight on Special Report. I'm joining the panel quarter to seven or so Eastern Time on Fox News Channel. Brett Bayer hosting as usual. That's a little bit later on this evening. Oh, we're all back. We're reconvening after the holiday. And, of course, Thanksgiving is my favorite holiday. And it went very well. We had a fantastic feast at the house. Terrific leftovers, as usual. In fact, I had some leftovers today for lunch. A little turkey on Hawaiian rolls, the little mini Hawaiian rolls. Mayo and a little cranberry sauce. Oh, it's just perfect. And the transition to Christmas is now underway. And as I mentioned before the break, we are officially in Christmas party week here at the program. Party is Saturday night. Our whole team is coming, including plus ones. I'm pretty sure. I think Bobby's coming with Christine. I think, Dan, is your girlfriend coming as well? Is that true? She'll be there. There we go. Wyatt will be there. So it's going to be pretty exciting. It's going to be our biggest one yet. We're getting a little bit alarmed by the RSVPs, the percentage of people saying yes. So if you're listening and you are one of the people who has said yes, we can't wait to see you. But if you decide maybe at the last minute not to come or only stay for a little while, uh, that's also fine because (laughs) we don't want to run out of alcohol, although I think we probably won't. I mean, especially if Christine drops out, we will not run out of alcohol. But we did buy wine, just wine the other day. We bought, I don't even want to say, I'm not even going to say out loud how many bottles of wine we bought. It was a lot. And we also have a ton of long drink coming. The sponsor of this happy hour, they're sponsoring the party. They're sending us well over 100 cans of long drink of the original, the sugar-free, the longer drink with the more alcohol content. They're giving us a whole variety for the party. So between long drink and wine, we should be set. There'll be some beer as well. People always bring booze. I think we're going to be okay. But it's going to be an awful lot of people. So preparations very much in the full swing of things this week. And I'm sure we will talk about that more as the week unfolds here during our home stretches. But, Christine, I did want to ask you about your Thanksgiving holiday at Judgey Joyce's house. Did you, in fact, have turkey, as your mother informed the group text would be the case after a year off, no turkey last year due to, I think, some unfortunate decisions that you made? Was turkey restored to its rightful place? It was, and I I have to give credit where credit is due. It was a delicious turkey. Joyce, you know, she really did it this year. Good. I'm very glad to hear. Oh, but. Okay, there's a but. But. um, I'm not really excited uh, to say this. I'm not happy. Other people were kind of making comments under their breath about not having turkey last year. My Mm in-laws, for example. Sorry. Had a little something in my throat. You're getting choked up about this, Christine, because you know that once again, yours truly was correct. Right? I told you last year, I urged you not to make this disastrous decision to not serve turkey at Thanksgiving. And you were just like, oh, no, it's fine. Everyone's great with it. And I just knew that wouldn't be the case. And now Judgey Joyce had the cojones to actually say it. Rude. And I guess that gave some some courage to other people to then also make comments Maybe you have once again learned your lesson that good old GB, right again, and you could have perhaps avoided some of this scorn from your loved ones by just having Thanksgiving the way people want it. No, I I don't think so because they were 
all so excited about the prime rib last year. Nobody mm. said a word. Clearly Even- not, because they're because they they were being polite, and the politeness, I guess, wore off a year later. They could finally have a few drinks, truth serum, and let the truth flow, and they did. And at least there was turkey this time. So hopefully by next year, people will have forgotten and the sins will be expunged. Do you want to know something even worse? Do you know what she said on the way out? On the way out, we were leaving. And I was nice. I said, you know, everybody, like, thank you, Mom. Like, thanks, Aunt, everybody, to do everything. It was a really nice day. And my mother looks at everybody because most of those people are going to be there for Christmas Eve. And she goes, so, think we should do prime rib for Christmas Eve? I mean, that's an appropriate Suggestion. Prime rib for Christmas Eve, yes. Prime rib for Thanksgiving, no. So whether she was deliberately trolling you or not, I like to think that she was, this is yet another correct take from Judgey Joyce, who's just racking up W's here. And Cookie just keeps taking the L over and over again. And these L's are avoidable is the thing. I'm not perfect. I don't have a 100% track record. I'm not batting a 1,000, but my batting average is definitely higher than... Christine's. Let's put it that way. Do you know what that means, Christine? Do you know the baseball I don't, terminology I, there? I don't understand batting averages, but I assume that you're you're right more times than I am is what you're trying to say. That's correct. Yep, that's a good assumption on your part. You synthesize that information very well. And maybe Dan, when the show is over, he can explain to you how batting averages work. It's It's actually very simple math, but You had a good Thanksgiving, it sounded like, overall. Across the board, I think the team had a pretty good Thanksgiving from what I gather. And I did hear, though, from Wyatt, he is looking around his neighborhood. He came back to D.C. from Jersey. But the last couple days, he was looking at the outdoor decor of this period of flux, I would call it, between Thanksgiving and Christmas, where I think it's acceptable to move toward Christmas, but you know how defensive I can be of Thanksgiving. And why you said that sort of some of the decorations are all over the map in a way that irks you. Correct, yeah. So it, this is a weird period in, in between Thanksgiving and fall and then kind of winter Christmas. And in the neighborhood, there's just too much going on. There's some people who still have Thanksgiving. Some people still have Halloween up. Mm. I'm like – and then there's people who have started Christmas, which – my family is one of those. You do it on Thanksgiving Day. When you're done eating, you go out and you do the lights and whatever. And then there's people who have literally both going on on their house. They have a mixture of, you know, a hay bale and a Christmas tree. And to me, that's just so wrong. And it's that is more wrong than the, the premature Christmas decorations that Christine does. Like, Well, this is crazy mix. now. This is well, absolutely I'm, insane. Why is it insane? I mean, uh, when are you people going to be satisfied some people some people are decorating too early. Some are in transition. You guys are never happy about decor, especially when it comes to Christmas. Well, I'm glad that we're having this little squabble because, and I did not mention this on the call earlier today when we were planning the show, I have to confess something. Our house currently has both. <gasps> Why it almost fell out of his chair. Wyatt almost fell out of his chair across the glass. So here's what happened. We have, so obviously no no Halloween stuff is still up, but we have sort of some generic autumnal stuff on our front steps and our front porch. We have 
a few pumpkins that are still out there. And they're sort of like heirloom pumpkins, different colors, very classic, good looking. And then there's the mums that we still have. And I wanted to keep those on the front porch until December 1st, then they're gone. Because it's still November. In my mind, it's still the fall. It's fall autumnal vibes in Bensonville. But also, you might remember a few years ago, Christine, our Christmas lights guys just ghosted us. We had an agreement. They were going to come string the lights. And it's not like we're lazy and don't want to do it ourselves. It takes this massive ladder because we do a roof line Christmas light arrangement, and we need professionals to do it. I would fall to my death. So they come, they do it. They do a great job, but two years ago, they did not show up. And we got closer and closer to Christmas, and we are going to be able to use the lights for fewer and fewer days. So finally, I just basically said, don't even bother coming. You're obviously not getting any of our money. We were very upset about it. Last year, we decided to give them another chance, and I used a little incentive financially to say, if you can get the Christmas lights up by this date, I will give you this much bonus. And wouldn't you know it, it worked. And the house looked great and all of that. So we did the same thing this year, although I did reduce the bonus a little bit because I felt like I was still ticked off about two years ago. And I think things are maybe slowing down a little bit for their business because he eagerly said yes. And I want to make sure that they were here by December 1st. That was the deadline that I gave them. So they showed up on Saturday and put the lights up. It looks great. And so to test out the lights, we waited till it was dark. We turned them all on. It looked good. And so we had Christmas lights. We have a Christmas tree in the house because we had to get that this past Saturday because we needed the tree for the Christmas party. Didn't want to do that midweek. So there's a Christmas tree in the house, not decorated. And then we have the Christmas exterior lights that are up. And some of the autumnal pumpkins and stuff still out there. They go away in whatever, two days. And I'm keeping the Christmas lights off at night until December 1st. But technically we have both. And for one night, both were on display. Wyatt, how upset are you with me right now? How disappointed are you in me? Yeah, very disappointed guy. I mean, you you were just handing out L's to Christine before. So I'm going to give you the the rare L on this because this this is this is bad. What should I have done? Got rid of the pumpkins already? Correct, yes. Why? Because it's still November though. Yeah, but And the pumpkins, most of our neighbors' pumpkins have been burrowed into by squirrels and they're disgusting. We spray stuff on the pumpkins to repel the squirrels. So they are still pristine. They look great. It's still November. The Christmas lights aren't clashing with them yet, but it does feel a little bit weird to have both of them around right now. Both of these holidays. Yeah, it's just it's wrong, and and you just need to just it's wrong. You just need to get rid Sick. of the stuff. You can't. You got to commit. You got to fully commit. If you're going to do Christmas, fully do Christmas. Don't don't you know do it halfway. I am willing to dive in fully on December first to Christmas, and we needed the things in place because the party's December third. We couldn't wait, wait, wait. We had to do it early because of the earliness of the party, and also because of how we got burned a few years ago on the lights. I was just hedging. I was hedging my bets. Everything worked out perfectly, and now I do have this weird slight clash of holidays playing out at my own house. But I think the pumpkins stay until December 1st, then they're out to the street, and then it's full Christmas. And we did listen to some Christmas music on our drive on Sunday, so do with that what you will. 
Christine, do you have any final reactions to this? Yeah, I'm I'm just in shock we're allowed to give L's out to you. I didn't know that was possible. So <laughs> I just learned something you're, you're, new today. Yeah, you're not. And Wyatt, I'm not even accepting the L. I'm not taking the L. I understand where he's coming from because I sort of feel it a little bit. But I think that we are playing this somewhat awkward couple of days as well as we can. Um, no, it's totally fine. Um, I'm I'm just going back now. The L for Carly Rae Jepsen should stick. I know you kept saying it didn't. Oh, don't bring her into this. <laughs> don't you dare bring Carly Does she have Rae some, into this. Oh, well, you're not going to play her at the party. Are you going to play like Carly Rae Jepsen's Christmas you know, from Canada. I don't Canada. think she has Christmas. She doesn't have any Christmas music. She just has a bunch of uh, bops, as you might recall, although maybe you don't really remember a little groggy from these parties. But we play a mix of pop music, classic rock, and Christmas music at the parties. And we update the playlist every year. And you betcha, we are adding some Carly Rae Jepsen to the playlist this year. No, no doubt about it. In fact, I might do a few extras now that you've reminded me. So I appreciate you reminding me, actually. Because I might have forgotten otherwise, but you brought this up out of nowhere with time expiring on the clock for the show. And this is actually a great service that you've done. Thank you, Christine. Thank you so much for a big W. You, you've actually earned a W back on Carly Ray Jepsen. And with that, I've got to go, like, be a serious person on Special Report. Back here tomorrow, same time, same place. For The Guy Benson Show, have a great night. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. In these ever-changing times, you can rely on Fox News for hourly updates for the very latest news and information on your time. Listen and download now at foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcast, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.